What does healing mean to you? If you can go through life and you can contribute and have made a difference, if you can function in a way that you can be there for your family and your friends, mm -hmm. then you have it. Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And we are Revealing Voices. Yes, we episode are. Five. Episode five, and we're going strong. We've had uh, local guests as well as guests from afar. It's wonderful to be in this business. We've had some letters uh, from people writing in. We've got a particularly uh, interesting letter about a uh, comment that was that I made about bipolar two being bipolar light when I was describing. Eric's diagnosis. Um, the letter goes on to say there is evidence to suggest that individuals having bipolar 2 disorder have an increased suicide risk versus individuals with bipolar 1 disorder. It is something we should take very seriously. Um, people with various diagnoses have a wide variety of symptoms. Uh, some are light, like Eric's symptoms are. Others are quite serious. We want to take all diagnoses seriously, and I apologize if we imply that that was uh, not something that we were doing. So, Tony, we, we know each other really well. That's right. And, and it's true, like, through our relationship, it's really, you kind of caught me coming out of a really low period and generally coming back up to a point where I'm fairly healthy now so right throughout the course of our relationship i you, you could perceive me as having light symptoms but i've had some very difficult periods of time yeah but you know thank god right now uh, i'm doing really well uh that's not to say i could go back into a time where i'm really symptomatic uh in which case for me it's normally um uh, just depression right yeah but you see in various diagnoses how uh, wide-ranging people are in their behaviors as well as their feelings. Uh, lately in the news, we've seen the story of Mariah Carey talking about her bipolar disorder, and I believe her, in her case, bipolar yeah. too. So as it goes in the DSM, it sounds like Mariah Carey and I share the same diagnosis, and we're both divas. <laughs> so... You never know, and Eric and I were talking about this, you never know what people will attribute to their symptoms, to their diagnosis, and what is just plainly a part of who they are. Right. And uh, I think Mariah Carey shining a light on mental health awareness will be good overall. Right. You know, and 
like in our case right now, uh, we have a podcast and we share our diagnosis. And so in a way, people maybe tune in a little bit closer to hear what we have to say. And when they do so, then when they hear things like, you know, bipolar light, then our, our language is critiqued a little bit more than if we were just on the street. Uh, with Mariah Carey, it's probably going to be the same thing, where people critique the way she talks about uh, mental illness a bit more than they would have, you know, a month ago. As far as the impact this is going to have on stigma, I think it really depends on how she uses her podium, her mic, you know, just her voice. She is mm-hmm. now revealing her voice. So what's this you're going to share about your buckwheat? So I'm a gardener, Tony. <laughs> and last year I planted a garden uh, between the sidewalk and the street at my church. And I also planted one at my home where I've been gardening for about five years. And last year the church garden yielded about twice as much vegetable as my home garden. I'm Something like, what's going on? That. What's <laughs> going on? Maybe it's spiritual. Uh-huh. Maybe it's just uh, the fact that the church had not been gardened in a while. But I said, you know, Jen, we got to figure this out. We need to plant some nitrogen fixing plants in our home garden. Yeah. So I started doing research. Yeah. What would you plant, Tony, if you're playing nitrogen fixing plants? Um, soy. Soy. <laughs> I tried to get some soybeans the other day <laughs> at the grocery. Like, hey, I'll take some, some dry soybeans. Not easy to find. No. Weird. Well, anyway, so I'm looking at nitrogen plants. Yeah. Alfalfa. Oh, okay. It's in there. Uh-huh. And so is buckwheat. And then I was like, isn't there like a show where there's like two kids named alfalfa and buckwheat? <laughs> Or am I totally off? Uh, yeah, it was uh, the R gang. It was the original the rascal? Uh, little rascal. The little rascal. Uh, this is all to say <laughs> I have five pounds of buckwheat seed yes. at my house now. I will be planting this weekend, and Great. I am excited. And my soil better have more nitrogen in it next year. Good. We're excited on this yeah. episode to have Marie Henning. Uh, Marie is a woman who had a big part to play in Eric's development, uh, sort of a second mom. Uh, We brought her on the show to discuss human resource issues with persons who have mental illness. Marie uh, is literally the neighbor of my parents. So we moved to Columbus. The Henning family, uh, her her two daughters were about my age, really uh, pursued me in trying to welcome me to Columbus, offering some Hoosier hospitality, which I thoroughly rejected for quite some time. But as any excellent neighbor, they uh, continued to be kind, and eventually I uh, accepted the invitation into their home. I eventually uh, gave them a sign that still hangs in their house that says, Backdoor neighbors are the best. Yes. And and so Marie has been uh, a great neighbor throughout the years, and I'm glad to have her on the show. Hello, Marie Henning. We're very happy to have you here in the studio this evening. Hey, Marie. Hey, Tony. Hey, Eric. Here to talk about your uh, your life in the workplace as an HR professional, uh, how uh, you've been able to have a ministry through that experience in your professional life, 
and talk about some of the mental health uh, issues that you have encountered uh, in the workplace. I kind of fell into HR, um, worked at a small Christian college in Tennessee, or actually in Georgia, just over the Tennessee line, and um, was actually running the bookstore, and they asked me to take over the HR department. So I became the director of HR as um, part of a Christian ministry at the time, because the Christian college was a Christian ministry. So I started there, worked there for... um, for a while in it until we relocated to um, Indiana and then you know just kept on it as a profession. So as a ministry, I guess I look at ministry as, um, you know, there's paid ministry and there's paid ministry, right? So mm-hmm. um, I just feel like whatever I do, I am a minister, I'm an in ministry, I'm a minister right. for Christ, whether it's a secular organization or it's a Christian organization. So um, I believe every place I've been has been because God's put me there and that there's a reason for that. <clears throat> and um, I don't know all the reasons all the time, but just have always looked at it that way. So nothing is separate um, from yeah. that. It, it sounds like the very foundations of when you started was in a Christian setting. Yes, it did. And it um, gave me an opportunity to really uh, see the business side of running an organization um, from the people side and mm-hmm. also the fact that it is a Christian you know how do I impart that into it and I was allowed to do that because yes. that was the type of organization it was so after 12 years of working at a Christian organization it really was a change um, going into a I went into manufacturing after that which was a much more secular setting mm-hmm. we um our show is at the intersection of faith and mental health, mental illness. And over the years, I'm sure you've seen uh, how people within the faith community, as well as beyond, have dealt with mental health issues at uh, the workplace. And we're interested in hearing more about that. Well, when I worked at, at uh, Covenant College, um, there was, a, because it was Um, a Christian school and in that community it was in the Bible Belt a lot of resources um, in that area so um, if people needed help there were always Christian places to refer them to um, which was kind of nice when I moved to Indiana and started here um, it was a little bit different because there really weren't a lot of um, counselors if you will or therapists that were Christian or organ, you know, run by mm. Christian organizations. So that's made it a little tougher um, as far as referrals through employees. Yes, I you you get to see the signs with some people, um, and then other times people surprise you, and you find out that they're dealing with some issues that you weren't weren't aware of. Um, usually, you wouldn't find out until their performance, particularly attendance or their ability to interact started to be impacted. Have you seen the amount of disclosure from people, you know, behind the closed doors of an HR office increase over the years? I I think I see more issues now than I did earlier on in my career. And I don't know if it's because the world has changed or because there's more recognition or because there are even some protections for it. It, It's kind of a combination of things. Back in the day, for lack of a better expression, mm-hmm. um, 
it, it, you weren't job protected if you went out sick. So, mm, you know, um, right. you had, you were going to be out for a few weeks or a few days or whatever. Um, you know, you risked losing your job. So I think people worked a lot longer and that stress just continued and made the situation worse. So would you say as a result of this with the protections and some of the more openness that attitudes have improved toward mental illness? I'd say they've improved, but they're still not the same. If you went to someone and said, I'm going to, I found out I have a um, tumor and um, I'm going to go have surgery for that. You know, everybody rallies around. Um, if someone comes with mental health, there's still a stigma to it. Mm-hmm. I think from people who don't understand, I think it's a lack of understanding. I don't think it's a lack of sympathy, but there's still a lot of people who feel like if you're um, depressed or if you're, um, you're having anxiety attacks or whatever, that it's just something you're not, you're not fighting through. You know, you're just not being tough. And I still right. think there's some of that out there. The, the, the call for education is a pretty consistent need for people to just understand better what it means to have a mental illness, how that may impact their uh, performance at work at times. Uh, in that light, have you seen more training for managers and supervisors over the years so they can be more responsive to their staff when mental health issues arise? The last couple of years, and even um, it's interesting that you ask that because I'm in the construction industry now and just went to a seminar recently that um, that they were holding on suicide. Mm-hmm. And construction is the number one business where there are more suicides than any other oh, business. I had no idea. I, I didn't either until I got this. So they're looking at, you know, what are the signs? What are, what are they seeing? White males? Um, running from mid-40s into their 50s, and they're saying, you know, the stress of not having safe for retirement, bodies breaking down because it's right. physical labor, right? Are there more initiatives? You mentioned a little bit about uh, pension or health care, but are there more initiatives on the health care level with EAP and programs that will address mental health concerns yeah I, I haven't been I haven't seen an employer in a long time that didn't have an EAP of some sort most of them do but we forget to refer people you know HR may send something out or you'll have your posters up but you know it's training the managers when they come to me and they say oh you know this employee X is having this trouble did you give them the EAP did you tell them about the EAP right you know um, because they don't know what to do People come to them with these issues, and they just don't know what to do, what to tell them. And, well, you're not trained to do that, but we've got this. Yeah, you and know? that's a great benefit. It is, because it doesn't cost the employee anything, at least initially. Mm-hmm. They get X number, usually three to five visits, you know, for free. And then if they have to be hospitalized um, or some more serious, you know, their health insurance usually will start to cover it. And I know, you know, speaking individually, my employer even has some on you know the f- online or or by phone counseling available twenty four seven, and uh, I'm sure there are other corporations and other companies that have that sort of benefit. Most of the EAP, so most companies will contract with an EAP provider, and that provider usually has twenty four seven because it's got to be a crisis hotline too, mm-hmm. and um, 
And there's other things that they take care of. You know, if you're having trouble with your children and that's what's stressing you out. If you're having money problems, they can provide financial advice. I mean, those EAPs really are um, a good tool. Yeah, they, they make it very open for many different reasons, you know, and, and really sees it as a benefit across, as you say, just family concerns. You know, it could be a, a struggle even beyond the individual. Right. That they just need some counsel, and that's right. really helpful, I think. Yeah. No, it is, it is. It's a great benefit, and I think it, it helps give people somewhere to go. And when they don't have to pay for it at first, that's kind of a relief because then you start to worry about the expense of going, especially if you haven't right. met your deductible. And now most places have gone with high deductible health plans. So, you know, and you have to have three, $5,000 paid in before, you know, your insurance starts to cover. For some people, that's very difficult. And that just is added burden on the family with everything else they're dealing with. Would it be the case that because of these factors, people are more inclined to hold off when they're healthy and maybe wait till a crisis sets in? I think some of it's that. I think some of it is that um, they are, they're still afraid to, to admit it. And I think the other thing is they don't understand how their jobs could be protected or you know, they may be eligible if they have a short-term disability policy. You know, that might help cover some of the expenses. So they're not aware of how their benefits really kick in. I'd like to talk um, on the general topic of stigma in the workplace uh, and ask the question this way as we begin. If it becomes known that a person has a mental illness, what have you often seen among other workers, among supervisors, uh, in terms of a response? It's not always a positive response. They often will, um, I've had supervisors that have not known how to handle them, um, stop requesting things of them, so not really using them the way they should, um, giving them lesser assignments, you know. Um, so there's been some of that. Um, most of the time they have come to tell me at some point that they're having this issue. And then I, I'll ask them, have you talked to them? Are they getting help? Have you given them the EAP? So we'll start down that kind of road. Um, but I still, even when that person comes back, they, they sort of treat them like they're made of glass and they're going to break real easy instead of as, as individuals who you know, are, are just working through something. And, you know, if they're released to come back to work, their, their therapist or their doctor feels like they're ready to come back. You know, I, I wonder, you know, for the supervisor or manager in that situation, how much they're trying to protect themselves to not be seen as discriminating somehow. So, you know, Knowing that person has been out for a mental health issue, they don't want to address it interpersonally because it might be opening them up to a discrimination situation. I don't think they were as worried about discrimination as they are as worried about they're going to do something that's going to cause that person to do something bad, either to themselves or to someone else. Mm. For the most part, I think... In my experience, most supervisors care about the people that work for them. Yeah. And they're just afraid because a lot of it's they don't understand, um, but they're afraid that they're going to do something that's going to make that person 
do something bad okay. and or to themselves or to someone else really wanting to encourage that help coming from somewhere else right and not having to deal with it because yeah. they're uncomfortable well and you brought up earlier the uh, topic of suicide i mean mm -hmm. if if a if a supervisor goes to a training where they're talking about the prevalence of suicide among construction workers, obviously they're going to be on edge thinking, you know, what do I do to prevent this? Right. right. And again, it's, it's intervention doesn't always happen as soon as it should happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I don't think, you know, I don't think people in general like to admit they're struggling. What was the big takeaway from that training that you went to? Um, well, one of, you know, I, I always like to look at the root cause. And, you know, it's just interesting um, that the, the biggest thing is, are we looking for it, right? Do we, are, we, are we ignoring the signs? Mm. And, um, you know, what happens, you know, a lot is that, you know, people are scared about the future. Um, you know, pensions aren't what they used to be, right? Now um, you've got this whole generation of baby boomers getting ready to retire who maybe haven't saved enough because they started out when everybody had pensions mm -hmm. and that's how their parents retired. Well, that's not there for a lot of people now. You, and so have they saved enough and, and all of those kinds of things. So they start worrying about the future. And of course, you know, that's where we as Christians look at, look at the world a little differently too because we know God has our future. So, um, but it's hard when you're in a secular setting, you know, if I know someone's a believer, we can go down that path, but if they're not, you know, I have to go down a slightly different path with them. Mm -hmm. So I guess I, I kind of frame HR matters sometimes as being behind closed doors. There's that confidentiality, right? as you were just mentioning in that moment when you're with someone who's really hurting, if they bring up their faith. Do you approach them and have a conversation on faith and yeah 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 I do it's I, I feel like if they bring it up that that opens the door right because right. I, I if I know I'm having those kind of conversations I've usually you know at least shot up a quick prayer you know like give me the wisdom or the words to say because there's no set there's no set script when right. you're talking to different people about different things everyone's situation is different so there's no set script. Um, but I will talk about it in terms of, of faith and, and what they believe and what I believe. And, mm -hmm. and for people who aren't believers, it's not that I ignore that as much as I talk about my, my belief system and where it comes from, you know, and try to encourage them and theirs. Mm -hmm. You know, that brings to my mind, uh, again, the, the topic we touched on a little before the show. I'm wondering if there have been opportunities with these conversations you've had to to touch on topics of faith, prayer, illness, mental illness, medication? I can't think of a specific one um, with mental illness. I know with other illnesses over the years, I have had those conversations with people about um, just the fact that uh, God has a plan. You know, what, what are we focusing on, the here and now or... Um, you know what's coming. People with mental illness um, that I've dealt with or had the had the opportunity to deal with, a lot of them have gone to get help, get medication. A lot of it's talking about there's not that's not a bad thing. What medication does is basically allows you to have 
a regular thought, a normal, in quotes, thought process, right? But it allows you to think rationally and mm -hmm. not emotionally. And, and right. you know, so if it's working, that's how it's working. So it doesn't make your problems go away. It doesn't do anything else, but um, it allows you to function within the levels that you have to. Um, so I have had conversations that way, and I've had conversations about, you know, are they in the right job or not? Is this what they want to do? Right. Um, mm -hmm. Because sometimes it's just a bad fit, and, you know, all the medication in the world isn't going to make you feel better in an environment That's right. that you don't flourish in. Yeah. Something I, I want to bring up, and I'll get a little personal here for a moment. We have the question of how much experience do you have in workers disclosing mental health, a mental health diagnosis, a mental illness, disclosing their own while they're in a healthy state? I think oftentimes we don't find out about someone having a mental illness until they are in crisis. And I think that's probably more often the case than not in workplace settings. Uh, so do you have many experiences where you've had someone come up to you and just say, hey, um, I do have a health, mental health diagnosis. Just wanted to let you know in case, you know, something flares up in the future. I've had one or two of those. Um, and a lot of times that has been, it, it's kind of an interesting um, thing. And this is, I don't have hard data for this, but I've just noticed that more, more times than not, it's been... Um, females and younger and usually starting out in kind of an hourly job or not not really on a career path yet but they're starting out hourly and they struggle with things and they'll tend to tell you they're on you know oh I'm taking an antidepressant or uh, that kind of thing um, men not so much men I've usually dealt with at the crisis stage mm -hmm. I, I did take that leap uh, with my employer about a year ago and it was a part of a routine, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation mm -hmm. with my manager. Uh, I, I'm part of something called the Stability Network, where we really want to be able to uh, show that you can have a diagnosis and be successful in the workplace and be public about it. And so uh, I decided, as a member of the Stability Network, I should take that step and frame it as a... Uh, disclosure of health mm -hmm. and, and as a way of just really building more of a bond uh, than a wall. And uh, I have had the experience of disclosing in crisis before, and that was awkward. Uh, in this situation, it was done while perfectly healthy, just a normal, you know, sunny day. And uh, it went really well. And, and I, I know I made the right decision there. Uh, I haven't told anybody else, but just, you know, for others listening to this podcast, uh, you know, I, I would ask you to seriously consider um, how that may actually benefit you in the workplace if you were to make that disclosure of, of health. And I think, and Marie, you may be able to help us with this. Let's imagine that someone in your workplace were to have a conversation with you and then raise the question with you, you know, how much do I share with others? What might you say in terms of a process, in terms of advising them? I mean, every workplace is different, of course. Well, first of all, I, I always 
tell people when they tell me something that's HIPAA protected, that it's HIPAA protected, right? So that right. it's up to them to tell who they want. That, um, and I let them know I don't tell anyone unless there's a need to know. And sometimes there's a need to know. The supervisor might have a need to know or whatever. Um, so if they have a good relationship and trust their manager, which the majority of people do, I would suggest that they tell them in confidence just so they know. And if they need anything, that person is aware. Other than that, I don't know that broadcasting it to any, everyone, you know, because when you get into that gossipy stage, right. when everybody starts to know, you know, you have a bad day and everybody, oh, they're depressed, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. And it's just a bad day. So mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know that, as you said, Eric, everyone needs to know. Right. But I think there, there are times letting your supervisor know that may be beneficial Mm -hmm. You know, especially if you do start to have some issues, then you can talk to them about, I'm having this issue, I think I need to go to my doctor, or, you know, I need to be off tomorrow because this really stressful thing happened and I'm, and I'm struggling dealing with it, which is no different than anyone else that has a, um, you know, something happened to the kid at school and they need to be off for it, right? So. A really great takeaway from that conversation with my manager was her advocating for people taking mental health time, uh, not necessarily a day, but if it needs to be a half day, you know, a couple hours, uh, that she was very supportive of, you know, having those conversations with her and taking that time. Uh, and I, I really appreciated that. I think someone who's productive and performs and performs consistently you're going to work with that person because you don't want to risk losing them, especially in the labor market right now. It's so tight, so hard to get good people, right? I think when people use it as an excuse for being late, for not showing up, for all of those kinds of things, that's where it becomes difficult. And I've seen it used right. that way, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right about the, you know, it has to do with the performance and having, having your regular days at work. Um, <clears throat> You know, if people are showing up, doing their job, you're going to do everything you can to support them. Given what you've seen, what you've heard, who you've worked with, um, what would you like to see happen in the workplace to improve both productivity for companies and contributions for those who have mental illness? Is there one thing you would like to see happen? I think everything is there in terms of, of legal and stuff. It's just how, you know, it's how do you change people? And that just takes time, you know. Um, Jesus is still working on us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we change every day, but how do you become that person that can start to see that through through Jesus' eyes, right? See the right. people that way instead of through the eyes of, of our human knowledge. So I really think the biggest thing is going to be to, to, uh, to continue to talk about it and to continue to have people start to see that mental illness is an illness. It's not a defect. It's an illness. Mm -hmm. And so if we treat it like any other illness, um, 
and every illness is treated differently because you know treatments are different cancer is treated different than the flu or than whatever but so there's different ways you're going to treat it but until we accept mental illness as an illness like any other illness um, I, I think it's going to stay that way so that would be the thing and I think a lot of it comes from education and talking just like you know people aren't afraid of things they used to be afraid of you know hundreds of years ago there were illnesses that people were afraid of that now we're not afraid of um, HIV is a good example right no one would go when that first was um, becoming well known or, or spreading you know people didn't want to go near anyone who had it because they were afraid they just catch it by being near them so they were afraid but now you know that there's been advances and there's been education and stuff people realize just by giving someone a hug you're not going to come down with that so um, I think it's the same with mental illness. It's got to be seen as an illness like any mm -hmm. other illness. Marie, why don't we circle back around to where we started, uh, talking about HR and your career as a vocation, as a ministry. And I think over the course of this conversation, we've talked about some of those crucial conversations you've had you know, in your office, you know, those private moments where people are really struggling and you're able to be there. Um, I just kind of go back and, and talk about your, your HR career as a ministry? So I became a Christian in high school when I was 15. And um, when, I, when I did, um, there was a big change for me uh, in my, my thought process about just life and future and all that. And one of the things that made me want to do was be able to help people, right? Everybody wants to help people. Well, I'm going to tell you, HR is not always <laughs> where you go to, to... It's not where you go if you like people because you see a lot of things. And, mm. and I, although I like people, I understand the business aspect. I'm getting around to answering your question, by the way. So, um, but as I started to mature in my faith, um, I really studied sociology and then I had English and public relations. And I kept throwing things in there because I thought I would go into social work. Well, it wasn't that easy to get into it. And then I found out it really didn't pay anything. So mm -hmm. I decided that, um, you know, I probably needed to do something else. So I kind of fell into HR. I've stayed in HR over the years because I feel like it's the place to bring people and business together. Mm -hmm. And it's the human side of business. Yes. And that I could have an impact in people's lives. And in the last several years, you know, I've thought about stepping out and doing something different, but one, it's what I can get paid for. Right. Because mm -hmm. that's where my expertise is. But the other piece of it is really that I get the opportunity to, to be able to influence um, people's lives and really try to make a difference um, in terms of that. And, and I get a chance to try to share my faith without being, um, without being preachy, right. because I can't be preachy, um, excuse me, in the workplace. But what I can do is talk about how I think about things, or sometimes it's as simple as um, I had someone have open heart surgery at the place I worked at, and I was talking to her you know, where she was getting ready to go, and I was able to say, hey, I'll be praying for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she said, thank you. I mean, how can you, I mean, what can someone say when you say you're going to be praying for them? Don't pray for me? <laughs> well, you can tell me not to, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to. But I don't have to be preachy. It's just a way I can reach out and say, hey, I care about you. So um, I, 
I really feel that's where I can make a difference is in understanding people and then helping them to get what they need to go to that next step. So Marie, tell us a story about when Eric was a child. <laughs> well, I, I knew him in high school, but I'll, I'll tell you my, my first Eric story. Uh -oh. So Eric was um, uh, not happy to be living in Columbus, Indiana. And uh, he, he and his family had just moved in literally behind us. And um, so they, his parents called my house one day and wanted to talk to one, actually my oldest daughter and wanted them to invite him to Campus Life. Mm -hmm. And so they happened to call when it was the, I can't remember, Eric, what they call that day where they come and they just tell you you're going and you go. It was Monday. Manhunt. Manhunt, man yes. And you were watching Monday Night Football. I, oh, every Monday, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were watching Monday Night Football, but my daughters went over and got you for Manhunt. And um, so... Um, they called that night? Yeah. That night? That night. I did not know that part of the story. Yeah. At least that's how I remember it. But anyhow... Yeah. Uh, um, so they took Eric, and um, so that was the beginning of, of getting to know Eric. So yeah, it, it was a, it was a miracle moment. I mean, it was <laughs> certainly one of the biggest watershed moments in my life. It really was because I I was seriously on the couch in like the room where we have the important conversations in the Riddle household, <laughs> getting ready to be like, I'm out of here. This has been the worst experience of my life. And uh, I, need, I need to go back to Owensboro, Kentucky. But yes, a Adrian and Christine and John Henry came to my rescue, and uh, it changed my life. So Marie is indeed my, my second mother, and it's been very nice to have, have you here with us tonight. So we'll ask the final question that will go partially at the beginning. What does healing mean to you? Healing means that... We are fully restored with our Lord. I mean, total healing won't come until that day that we're, we're with him in heaven mm -hmm. and singing his praises. Now, earthly healing, um, for me, it means being able to function in the world and have some fun. Mm -hmm. Because you can function, but if you're not living life, if you're not enjoying anything, you're not living but it's being able to do that. It's not going to be easy. It's never easy, whether it's physical, whether it's a mental issue, or just day-to-day -day life. There's always hardships, always stuff that's hard. But if you can go through life and you can contribute and have made a difference, if you can function in a way that you can be there for your family and your friends, mm -hmm. then you have it. Yes. Thank you. Very well. Marie, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. This was an amazing interview. You know, as Marie said, I've known her for a long time. She was like a mother to me in high school. About There's a rumor that you may have even had a crush on her daughter. You know, Tony, <laughs> that is true. <laughs> This was about 20 years ago. <laughs> Christine and I are now happily married to, uh -huh. to different people. Separate people, yeah. Yeah, several people. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So. <laughs> <laughs>
so it, I have never, you know, really known Marie in, in her professional capacity, and I learned more about that today. It's and, clear she has both the knowledge, experience, and also the passion for her vocation. Yeah, and it, it's always good when you talk about, you know, a, a secular profession that you can treat as a ministry, you know, knowing proper boundaries, you know, and knowing when you can have those moments to share and make a real impact at a spiritual level with somebody. So my takeaway, big takeaway is sometimes in the workplace, you're experiencing anxiety, but it's not necessarily a generalized thing. It's really because of some toxic relationships you may have. It may be just a poor job fit. And Marie does a really good job in this interview talking about how sometimes it's just a normal thing to be in a poor fit and have anxiety about it. I was struck by something she said about uh, we have put in place the legal protections of uh, the American Disabilities Act and other uh, legal protections. So the laws have changed. It's not a matter of changing the laws, but changing people's hearts and minds to better accept and open and embrace the uh, distinct gifts people with disabilities, people who have mental illness have to offer, and fitting that together as best we can uh, within a particular profession, vocation, so that both the company can be productive and the morale of all the workers can be um, enhanced. Yes. And she touched for a moment on really the ideal work environment where people with uh, mental health diagnoses can thrive, you know, and that is possible in the American workplace. And we're working to help and encourage that, Tony. So thank you again, Marie. Yes. Tony, on our next episode, we will have Pastor Mark Tyke. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Pastor Mark is the lead pastor of St. Peter Lutheran Church here in Columbus, Indiana, and has been for over 20 years. I've known Mark for probably 10 of those years and highly respect him. My first knowledge of Mark really was him working with some of the historic African-American churches in town to host a uh, Martin Luther King Jr. memorial service, worship service at his church. And it was the first time I was ever part of a African-American-led worship experience. And that was really a beautiful thing. I also went to a, like a job search training ministry they host, uh, really a unique ministry for a church. And, and they've really broadened into mental health ministry now. And that's how I've known Mark through his mental health advocacy. Um, he and his church have hosted two NAMI National Alliance on Mental Illness FaithNet conferences. His church provided a scholarship for me to attend Saddleback Church with their second annual mental health and the church conference. Um, so 
Pastor Mark and, and his church have been instrumental in this community and beyond to advocate for persons like us with mental illness. Yes, it should also be said that they have uh, counseling services um, in their church. They have licensed clinical social workers on staff. Uh, they host Celebrate Recovery meetings every week. So it's a very robust ministry they have, one of the leading churches in our community, really, for, for mental health, for addiction support. Just a great leadership job that Mark does year in and year out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having him. Yes. Here in Studio E. Studio E. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. Tony, I think you need some more of those cocoa bean caffeine drop medicine balls. Ah.